Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. All right, so we're, we're going here. We started with Tom Brokaw. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so grateful to be part of this podcast for this episode, which is uh, the 302nd episode of the Catholic Stuff You Should Know. 400 seconds. 402nd. My goodness. Welcome to the podcast, Father John, uh, Father Michael O'Loughlin, and Tom Brokaw with us. Uh, Father Nathan Goble. Gerald uh, Ford dead today. He was 83. Somebody put an extra token in his uh, back this morning, and he's been uh, rolling. Yeah. And the monkeys are working overtime because I've never heard you imitate Tom Brokaw before. Well, I I, uh, I did that whole impression. That's Dana Carvey from Saturday Night Live from like the 1980s or something. And uh, I did that impression for uh, Nick Blaha, and he was in tears at the Grand <laughs> Teton National Forest. So as we know, everything comes back to Father Nick Blaha. Everything comes back to the, the first love of my life. <laughs> That monkey was in a coma for a few months and just woke up. That's, That's right. right. Let him out of Miraculous. the prison. So yeah. so, yeah, here we are. We're up at the uh, Companion Summer Conference 2019. If you're cackling in the background, it's because the seminarians want to be on the podcast, yeah. and I specifically <laughs> told them, bug off. Pining, but there's no door in this uh, den, so... That's there's probably the, uh, some the boys playing Carcassonne or Seven Wonders. What are they playing tonight? What's, what's the Barbie one? Life, I think. Barbie Life. <laughs> You're yeah. all on the same team. There's some Shoots game. and ladders. Oh no, that's a great what's, game. What's we're, we're playing one? Pandemic. Pandemic. Pandemic is a sweet game. I don't know if you got anybody out there in podcast land is interested in board games, but Pandemic is cool. Hashtag you sound, sponsored. Hashtag super cool. That's what you are. You know what's not super cool? The Catholic game, because apparently we did not get in that one, even <laughs> though I think they, they offered asked us. it. They offered it to us. The Catholic game is a fun game. Though. We probably didn't. I, I'm, to I'm, email. I'm just joking. Catholic game was fun. No, you actually, know what else is not fun is losing to cribbage with you last night. Whatever. How does that sound? That only happened once. I know. Go ahead. Sorry, Ola. No, I, I, Goble seems to be the only one that knows that we turned down the Catholic game. That's because he reads every email but never responds to any. <laughs> That's of <them>. true. <laughs> Did we respond or did we just not respond? Uh, that was one that uh, in the you know the list that um, our mysterious email person, yes. um, he kind of scrolls through and gets us the ones that are salient, and he put it in a block of like, oh. there's like nine things like, would you like to be on the Catholic game? And some lady from Saskatchewan is making you, you know, moose tracks or something. <laughs> moose tracks. Can I tell you a moose story? Yeah. Oh, that one, yeah. You heard this. I, I don't know if you, you didn't hear this. Yeah. So last Monday, um, I'm backpacking with uh, Book and Wagner, two other priests in our companions. And uh, we're, it's this kind of beautiful lake right above the, uh, up in the James Peak Wilderness, um, just below the Carl Divide, Continental Divide. And uh, we're saying mass by the lake and kind of mosquitoes are out and it's kind of bugging a little bit. So I'm kind of distracted. I'm the main celebrant. Um, we're all vested in albs and stoles and the whole bit, standing by the lake in this little private campsite. Very nice. And again, backpacking, so we're way in the middle of nowhere. Earlier in the day, we had seen a moose. Then, uh, right after the Eucharistic prayer ends... Oh. Sign of peace. Brady goes, uh, look to your left. There's a huge moose 15 feet away from us. Oh, my gosh. And Brady, and, and we all turn, and we kind of pause, and we just look at him, and he's staring right at us. But he's kind of on the other side of these trees, so he's not, like, in our camp yet, but he's really close. Wow. And Brady goes, just instinctively, he just goes, he'll probably stay over there. <laughs> he probably won't come into our camp. And then three seconds later, goes, he's coming into our camp. He's walking, he's walking right towards <laughs> us right now. And we have literally five seconds, like, because oh he's, he's not charging at us, right. but he's just moving directly towards wow. us. It was just mm-hmm. this, like, alpha dominance move. Wow. Yep. And so instinctively, I'm like, we got to move right now. And, uh, and so I grabbed the chalice and the patent, and okay. we got the sacred body and blood wow. of our Lord in this thing. Oh my and gosh. the two other guys grab the bear sprays, and we start to kind of move <laughs> out of the camp as quickly as possible without like panicking. Oh so we're gosh. trying to move very slowly as he's moving in, and we're moving out. Were you guys singing like Eucharistic hymn during this yeah, procession? Yeah, Panji lingua. Yeah, exactly. So we're like, we get outside of the camp, and he's just sitting there looking around, and he's still staring at us. And then he starts moving again towards us, out of the oh camp. Gosh. So we start moving further away. He keeps following us. We keep moving further away. And by, at this point, we're getting really nervous because we're yeah. like, this guy could just destroy us. Because there's yep. more moose attacks 
than there are bear attacks. True, Everybody yeah. thinks bears, but okay. moose are the most violent animals you run into in the in the wilderness. And like, what's bear spray going to do? Yeah. It's like just you know. Yeah, it's like bad. if I put Febreze in Goebel's face, it's like that wouldn't <laughs> do anything. So we're moving further and further away from the moose, and he keeps, or from the camp, and he keeps moving closer and closer to us. Wow. And we kind of go up over this hill, and then we, we come down, and it's like a scene in a movie. That's all I know how to describe it. Like all of a sudden, we're trapped at the lake. You know, you're in vestments. We're in full vestments. <laughs> I'm carrying the body and blood of our Lord. And we're like, where do we go? Because we, we ended up kind of coming down this tr- this kind of small hiking trail, and we ended up at the lake, but there was nothing. Mm. So it's just all kind of like high brush, and you can't get through it. And there's the moose right there. Wow. And so we just kind of panic and kind of jump into the water a little bit and kind of move through the brush. And again, our alps are like just trashed. Yeah. And we kind of come around it, and we just take off up this hill. And we burst out of the, the woods into a small plain, thinking we got rid of the moose. And boom, there we are in the middle of these women's campground. Oh. <laughs> these three chicks look up at us. And we, we just came out of the woods, <laughs> fully vested, carrying all these that kind of awesome. s- these gold vests. We looked like probably druid priests like right. coming out of the woods. <laughs> so we escaped the moose. But uh, it was, a, it was a, I mean, seriously, that was, we saw moose one time before. When we backpacked the Kyle Trail years ago, right? But I'm telling you what, that was there was nothing closest I've that. come wow. to just total powerlessness. Like wow. this thing's over. If he wants to take us out, would you say it was? It almost ended up like a news story. Almost tragic <laughs> story today from Nagarland, Colorado, when three priests were trampled by a moose. They were 35, 38, and 43. <laughs> that fit well into your Tom Brokaw yeah. theme, exactly. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to I tell if you those guys girls that. had a podcast and they're like, so we were camping. There we were. <laughs> yeah, right. And all of a sudden, these three priests soaking wet. But do you think people know what priests towels. look like? Like when you come out of the woods in an alb? <laughs> yeah, that's scary. It's like they what? probably thought you were a KKK. They pr- they might have thought you were a cult leader. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was pretty uh, pretty weird. We were just as horrified to see them as they were to see us, though. So because wow. how do you explain that one? Yeah. Hi, we're your neighbors. We got some extra bars. You want some Lara bars? <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. We so, brought a moose. Yeah, we brought a moose. So it was a good camping, good uh, backpacking trip, but I would say watch yourself yeah. around the moose. And- I have been approximately 30 yards from moose, and that is about as close as I want to be in the wild. Yep, Cloud was- Peak Wilderness with Nick I almost hit a moose on my bike in Anchorage. I came flying around this corner. <laughs> Anchorage has this awesome, like, nine-mile bike trail around the city. And I was a deacon. by my deacon center up there. And I came flying around this corner. And I had a flip phone, but it had, like, one of the first flip phones with a camera on it, what, 15 years ago? And, uh, yeah, I came screaming around the corner, and this new, this moose was just stopped looking at me. And I come, er, slam on my brakes, and uh, pulled out my phone, took a quick picture, and backed up slowly. <laughs> Yeah, That's ballsy. You was, got the photo out of it. Yeah, that was. I, I wasn't even thinking. I mean, I was New Mexico kid, you know. Yeah, up in Anchorage, don't know what to do. Well, I tell that story to lead oh. us into a topic. Wow, that was a very eight and a half minutes. Eight minutes of banter, yeah. folks. That's all we got tonight. But we're right in the topic. I'm sure Tom Brokaw is going to. We're come talking back at about some moose point. today. Moose and. By the way, one you. more piece of banter. I need to realize. I am I am somewhat allergic to something in some whiskeys and some beers. Oh no! This is a horrible realization I've made in the what? past like year. What? But something in whatever I'm drinking is that it's causing like if I die live on the podcast. What? Are you drinking the old? Uh... No, I'm, I I have Tullamore Dew, but that's not what I'm drinking. I'm drinking the rye. Whatever Ooh, the rye stuff was. Maybe out there, you're so. allergic to rye. You're allergic to rye. You know what? Your life sudden is wisdom rye. That a podcast listener got Maybe. us? Maybe. Wow, it'd be full circle. Uh, yeah. It would be full circle. You know it. what? You're, that would be ironic for one of us to die of whiskey from a podcast. <laughs> exactly. You know, tragic Olaf. news today for the <laughs> podcast world. Your life is going from bad to worse, oh Olo. Yeah, do you, you want to you share the news again on this podcast? I mean, some people might be tuning in and be like, oh, oh man, man, Olo, I love that guy. I, I, I hope he's having uh, a great day. Well, it's probably weird because... I think, I mean, we haven't we haven't quite decided what I'm going to do in the podcast. We're going to try to get as many recorded as we can before I leave, and then we'll see. But um, well, you're leaving. Yeah, I'm leaving. My bishop's moving me to uh, right LA. now. Somebody's like, <laughs> what? 
So uh, yeah, you weren't there, Global. So we did our Ol Obedience podcast, John and I, and it was. Uh, did you call it Ol Obedience? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty good. Do you not like that? We already had a podcast on obedience years ago. Yeah, we had to name it something else. Obedience. Ol Obedience. Obedience. The fruit that is desired most among seminarians. <laughs> obedience. <laughs> And Such I've actually only God, it's just creepy. <laughs> I've only got emotional twice. One was telling my congregation, and the other one was on that podcast talking about my sister. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, mm. I didn't think so. I haven't been that emotional. Actually, I've been kind of like whoosh, cool, yeah. collected. Yeah, the, it's like oh, he does feel things. Yeah, for those in Every California, once in a while, though, the Basque comes out. I am getting more. I am getting more excited as I as it settles in. Yeah. Like I'm Arnold just, Schwarzenegger, I'm, I'm forcing excitement. But, Miley yeah. Cyrus, yeah. just excited. <laughs> as long as they're wealthy, yeah. Hollywood's going Byzantine. Give it three years. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. So uh, we're still feeling that. I mean, it, it's it's bittersweet. We're up here together. We got all the guys together. So there's 18 now companions in Denver, which Evan Coop's mom called. Oh, that's respectable. Did you hear <laughs> that story? We were having dinner. How many companions are there? I said 11. How many did St. Paul That's respectable. Huh? We just started. St. Paul, these guys, they're like, we have 55 priests, and it's like, it varies from 30 to 55 all the time. No, but how many How many did they have when they were in year 11? Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. You know what was hard today, though, was not making my promises. Yeah. I just, like, sat in the back and watched right. all you guys do it. So, like, we you, make were probably, annual... you were probably really feeling it whenever we were, like, under the Roman pontiff, <laughs> servant to the servants of God. Yeah, so every year we make an annual promise to live the uh, rule of life, the statutes, and uh, yeah, the Olo had to sit this one out. But yeah. I have full confidence you're going to be around. In fact, Goble, I was even we were reminiscing, telling these seminarian stories about hanging out with uh, you squaring off with Leah Darrow last January at the Sea Conference yeah. and drinking um, formula. <laughs> I didn't right? drink that. It was all over your beard, but. Uh, uh, Thinking, hey, it'd be fun to have Olo come out, and he's such a rock star. We'll just do a live one, you know, this winter. Bring him out. That would be awesome. And actually, I might come. I'm just still to try to come for Villa and summer conference. Well, yeah. we, if we invite you, that's yeah, great. If, if you'll have me, we're praying about it right now. Thinking about, it, praying about okay, it. Okay, so where you Sorry, were talking about moose, and then you it's tried. Over. It's over. Just missed my chance. You know, <laughs> we, we need to find another on ramp then. So I, the, the point of the story was um, actually quite a stretch from the topic, but we're going to try and kind of stretch it out. Mm, so fine. I've been talking at these guys a lot the last few days. They had me, foolishly, they asked me to do the conference this week, and so I've been, I've been talking a lot. So, yeah. So, and I'm out of content. So we had a couple good days of content, but today... Well, I, I mean, you could do it on the conferences that you did, but you're probably going to do that another time. Well, I left that time, uh, that moose encounter, and then breaking into the um, girls' camp and thinking, and what the hell were they thinking when they saw us? And, and, and then you start thinking about what is the... Well, this is the things that I think about. Kind of reflecting on what is the worldview of the typical person that we're interacting with in this day and age? person our age i'm talking about i'm not talking about grandma who's you know faithful catholic or lutheran or whatever but i'm just talking about kind of the general american millennial kind of older millennial so like 30s ish what is their worldview and uh i was i want to talk about the concept of a worldview and then i want to kind of explore the possibility of what does that look like with you guys and i'm not just thinking about the moose girls i'm thinking about it's been a year since we did the podcast on the scandal. And um, I've had a number of people I've known, some of whom are acquaintances, some who are friends, who have bid farewell to the Catholic Church. They said, goodbye Catholicism, farewell Catholicism. And the point of this podcast uh, and the topic of it is called farewell ideology. Because at a certain point in my life, uh, I decided to bid farewell to this concept of ideology, like uh, which we're going to kind of explore tonight. And so I want to just kind of uh, probe into that fact, but then also I want to look at, for those people who are maybe struggling, and they're still in the faith, still in the church, but really, really struggling, who are listening to this and saying, I just don't know. And maybe they have friends who have left and who have been public about their leaving, who have, uh, who have very strongly kind of swayed them to say, you know what, maybe maybe I got to go. And the point 
the point of this podcast is to say, well, what, what is left if you abandon the faith in the modern world? What kind of worldview are you going to naturally espouse? Because it's just kind of in the water, it's in the air. And if you don't do anything, if you, do, if you, re, if you don't choose Christ, what is that going to look like? So these are kind of very hmm. concrete, very small. Yeah, very kind sure. of. No, I'm just joking. They're, these yeah. are massive <laughs> questions. So uh, that's kind of the general kind of trail that we're going to kind of travel up. So do you have any initial thoughts on any of that? Does that make sense where we're going? Yeah. You're looking at a map. All you're doing is looking at a map right now. So, but what are your thoughts? I, I, I tend to think that a lot of people that, and of course people who have left the church because of the scandals, especially to kind of go back to that specifically, they leave for many different reasons. But it it all seems to be that that they they realized the brokenness of the church and they somehow saw their own brokenness in that. And it's, it, there's, there's something that just, they, they cannot, they can, it's, it's not psychologically helpful. This is how they'd explain it. It's not psychologically helpful for them to remain in something that causes them so much pain, even if it's just that the, the pain that they're allowing it to cause them, even if it's not really hurting them, it's, it, they're allowing it to cause them so much pain that they cannot stand to argue for it anymore. They can't stand to be called out by their friends and family for it anymore. And they, in a sense, need a break. They, they need a break from the pain that these thoughts, these evil men in the church, and, and the way that they are interacting with that reality, it's just, it's just too much. They need a break, and the only way they think they can do that is to actually leave the church. And according to the church teaching, yeah, you miss a Sunday, you're excommunicated in, in a sense, you know. Um, at least from receiving the Eucharist, so so there's there's something about about I think it's it's exhaustion, it's frustration, and it's just saying I'm I cannot do this anymore. That's one of the reasons why I've heard some people have left. Good. Go up to you. Any thoughts so is on the this? question is the question what are worldviews other than Catholicism, or what do you do when you leave the Catholic Church and well, adopt a yeah so so. What is the predominant worldview? Um, because the whole thing, the whole what I'm thinking about behind this, and again, this is kind of undeveloped and it's hard to explain, but it seems to me that people think um, without, if I reject faith, I'm, I can just be this kind of morally neutral, sure, objective, yeah, right. yeah. and I can just look at reality. And the whole point I want to say is, no, you can't. You actually are just falling victim and probably, very likely, not necessarily, but very likely, appropriating uh, the worldview that is just completely dominant um, in our day and age. And when I'm reading what they're writing, a lot of times on social media, um, I'm just like, you're just spewing out the the ideologies of a postmodern world. Yeah, and, I, and I have some some thoughts on who and where those ideas are coming from. Uh, but that that would be the main thing is just to say. Um, do people understand that that when you that faith is the only response to ideology in the modern world and uh, and so it's it's a very broad question so I hope that kind of helps a little bit global well I would say that uh, people end up not just simply with ideologies but with like kind of trite sayings and they live from sort of this patchwork of of truisms that they're like well I don't I don't need to believe that, you know, Christ came and that there's a whole, you know, anthropology of the human person that would lend itself to a morality, but I think we should be, people should be nice. They should be nice to each other. Um, you should uh, not be a racist. Um, you should, I don't know, like, um, offer the last pizza slice to someone else other than you. Um, I mean, it's interesting to hear some of the, some of the comments from people like at bars or whatever else. And, you know, you ask them like, what did you grow up with? And it's like, well, you know, I grew up Catholic or whatever else, but now I like, I, I don't practice, but I, 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 I still hold some of the tenants, you know, and some of the things are like, you know, like, uh, do unto others. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, that's not it's not all bad, but uh like there's got to be more to your system than just that true maxim. Yeah. 
So I think that that is true, that there's a lot of kind of um, maxims and truisms that kind of come out. But it's very captivating to people. And there's so much shame and, and frustration in the church right now that, that people are like, oh, maybe that's, maybe that's right. Maybe that's where, the way we need to go in these things. And so I, I think we have to kind of clarify, well, what does that look like? Um, what, is, what led to this place where, the, where so much of um, Western men and women are, th- are just in- appropriating these ideas. And the, and the most shocking one for me is gender ideology. Coming back from, uh, from Italy, I'm just like, wh- this thing just exploded all of a yeah. sudden. Yeah. It's just like, this is completely, uh, bathrooms are changing, you know? Uh, and it's not just like they just change it subtly. It's like they have to put, like I was at this, uh, this restaurant in the Highlands, and uh, they had the most obnoxious sign on the bathrooms. And I was like, 0.01% of the people who are using this bathroom are struggling with gender confusion. The reason you put that sign up is to tell the 99.9%, this is what you're going to believe, right? This This is what it means to love people, otherwise you're full of hate and these things. And I'm just like, whoa, where did this come from? It seems like it's just like kind of exploding. And people are just appropriating it uh, very quickly. And it's, it's an ideological drive. I, I couldn't believe... We were, in, we were in Milwaukee for Norton's ordination, and the Uber had a rainbow coming out of it, like, on the map. And I was like, what is going on? And then there was a, there was a, a rainbow something, like, in the fountain. And then I found out recently that it was Gay Pride Month. In June, yeah. Like, what? When did that happen? Like and it, it it's just as big as African American Heritage Month, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, it's everywhere. Everybody talks about it. Yeah. What are you doing for Gay Pride Month? I was like, um, June is the month of the Blessed Sacrament. I don't know about you, mm-hmm. but yeah. so sorry. Well, you want to say it? Just it's so much seems like misplaced compassion. But you know, I've, I've been surprised, and I'm I'm open to learning because it seems like. It's really hard to tell someone right in front of you, I disagree with you, and I think that what you, the way you think and what you're doing is wrong. That's really hard because we want to be compassionate. We want to be open. Of course we do. This is part of our humanity. Um, but I've, I've been surprised by what I used to think was only misplaced compassion and kind of the easy way out because people will absolutely call me out. you know. And I'm, I'm going like, if I'm the person in front of you and, they, and I'm wearing a collar... And if you're only all about misplaced compassion, and yet you're willing to rage on me for wearing a collar and what you think that that symbolizes, then then you're obviously not just taking the easy way. Like you you are ready for an argument, and I I, I do see that more. So I, I'm still kind of perceiving the world's ways in this because I honestly don't understand. I'm kind of the wrong way to guy to ask because I mean I think that a lot of this a lot of this ideology is coming from people that have never had the faith. They've never lived. A life of what we consider the truth. I mean, yeah, they've never yeah. they've never been been receiving the sacraments regularly and and kind of being tied to the, the vine to the branches and receiving the truth from God. Because it's those people that leave once they've had that first and the period of time that I do not understand. And I think it must be mostly what I said earlier, where they just need a, a, a break. Their humanity needs a break from the tension that they are receiving. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting insight. That it's it's connected to the. The humanity, it's connected to brokenness, it's connected to trust, and uh, yeah, certain certain people just... just um, but that's, just, not, that's yeah. not really ideology, so I'll let you continue with what you were saying. No, it's good. It's it, I think it's all connected. I think ideology is where you end up going. So um, there's three things that I've read recently um, that have kind of... I'm just going to pull a quote from each of them and try and kind of lay a foundation for what, what are we talking about when we say ideology. Um, one is Karl Rahner who gets confused as kind of this villain, and he has some bad theological ideas, but he's also got some really good stuff, uh, wrote an essay called Christianity and Ideology. Right, so I'll m- mention him. Um, there's our friend Lorenzo Albacete, who I just love, and I think is one of the great uh, minds in his book, God in the Ritz, speaks about this. And then thirdly, one of the most important books written in the last century, I think, Henri de Lubac's The Drama of Atheistic Humanism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely a necessity. And so we'll just pull one of each of these, kind of get an idea, and then we'll unpack a little more what that looks like, and then hopefully kind of tie it back to some of the ideas we just, we just kind of bounce out there. Go nice. Ahead. No, no, please. So um, 
We'll start with Albacete. He says, the, the, Christian, the, the task of the Christian is to identify earthly reality as a mystery in God as the source of meaning and purpose. So when it, ideology begins by saying, how do we approach reality? Do we approach it principally in a personal way in terms of mystery? Or do we approach it by way of an idea that we can control? Because ideology just means, you know, ideas. Mm-hmm. So the, some kind of idea, driving preception, presupposition idea, becomes the framework by which I approach all of reality, right? So Albacete says, as Christians, we identify earthly reality as a mystery in God, as the source of meaning and purpose. When this reality is an idea or a philosophical conviction, it's called ideology. So to replace Christian mystery with a particular idea or philosophical conviction, that, that's what we mean mm-hmm. by ideology. Yeah. So good this be like judging rather than perceiving. Right. To use like Myers-Briggs language. Right. So you, yeah. you were looking at the world and judging it rather than just listening and, and taking it in. Right. Okay. You, you predetermine what is the way that you're going to interpret reality. Yeah. And, and, this, and every... Preconceived modes of experience. What's who is that? What philosopher was that? Hume. The preconceived modes of experience, where it's just like I I take everything in according to like my own idea of how it should be. Yeah, I think in maybe David Hume. That's yeah. the stuff I've But I. But that's different than Aristotle, which is like I experience reality as it presents itself to me. Right. Through and, the senses. And St. Thomas Aquinas say, like, truth is the conformity of the mind to reality. Conformity of the mind, not the mind overtaking reality. Right. Um, but there's a number of these ways that ideas have so much power, and they're just so deeply appropriated. Um, and I think that the lo- Christ, that the fact that the Word is incarnate, that God is Logos, and that He is incarnate, that the person... This is the antidote to ideology. And it's when you reject the incarnation that ideology really takes form. Ideology is really a modern phenomenon. It's something that just didn't exist in the ancient world. Right? They, were, they had a different kind of way of thinking, pre-Christian world. But post-Christian world, ideology is kind of the, what has supplanted the Christian worldview. But the lie and part of the whole thing is to say, I don't, have an, I don't have a worldview. I'm just objectively approaching things, and I've been freed from the shackles of dogma and all of these rules um, you know, which fall in line. With, and I, I'm just free to kind of explore and to kind of encounter realities. And it's like, no, you're not. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a way that they interpret reality. The question is, do you have the right worldview? And, I, and these ideological movements that are happening are showing and demonstrating the power that ideas have, that they're swaying the way that, uh, not just human action, but the whole way that we're interpreting reality. What's, I mean, is there a way that through technology or through human, um, human enterprise that we will build a better world? I mean, is that I mean, is that just utopia, right. or is it sort of Western manifest destiny? You know, because I find that like with a lot of people, it's just like, look, the reason why we're coming up with all these new ideas is because we're actually developing a system, and ultimately, once we get the right system, everyone will live rightly. And I'm like, where? Right? Where is that place? Is it Apple? Like, is it Google? Is it? Like in your political party, I, I don't really know where those places are. Well, that's the problem. Is when, when in the in history, when people have tried to do that, they have to control people. They have to use yes. power, and they they have to yes. they have to intimidate. They have to build walls, you know, around community. I mean, they they have to literally say, you you, this is the ideal. You don't think the ideal way, therefore, we have to control you, kill you, whatever it might be. I mean, this is you you cannot force people into your ideal. Mm-hmm. One of the main presuppositions of the whole of the whole modern project, which we've inherited and which has really collapsed in the last century, is progress. Mm-hmm. That every, the world is it's getting better all the time. Right. Right? Is that the Beatles? Right. Yeah. It's just get it's getting better all the time. Everything's getting better, and now finally we've got we've opened marriage to to everybody, and this, it's a better world. And now we're we're really loving those people in gender confusion. We've created a better world. Right. And now we have technology. We're ridding ourselves of these things. Um, and it's just like unbelievable 
the Titanic uh, and Promethean sense of that man can will himself into perfection is and it, create the perfect society. Is it Chesterton who calls tradition the democracy of the dead? Hmm. You know, there, there's something about understanding that we, right, we're, we, we are not purely progressives. We do not believe that every generation is going to be better than the next. There's something to be, to be taken from past generations. That's what we call tradition. You yeah. know, that there's a certain wisdom there that is, is perennial and annual. Yeah. The guys like that comment. I don't know if you could hear him in the background. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a total rejection of tradition because there's nothing receptive about it. It's ideology begins with these, these kind of con- concepts that, that we begin with. We don't receive. There's no more receiving, you know. Yeah. So here's what here's what Karl Rahner has to say in his and he's dealing with the question of what when people accuse Christianity of being an ideology that's the point of this this essay but just very briefly as he says he says ideology is an erroneous system um, that is a it, that's a false interpretation of reality so like we've talked about right it's a false way it's a limited constricted way of interpreting reality because it's fixated and focused on mm-hmm. coming out of a, an idea right a presupposition. And then he says, Which are always enticing. Right. What interests us here, apart from the obvious errors that characterize all ideologies, has more to do with the very essence of an ideology, namely the way all ideologies set themselves up as total systems by willfully slamming the door, so to speak, on reality as a whole. All right, so they, they shut the door on reality. And then further down he says, um, from our formal definition, an absolutizing of a part of reality is what makes right. ideologies an a priori right. distortion of reality. So you're taking part and you're absolutizing it. Yeah, it's revisionist history. Right. You know, reading everything through the lens of male patriarchy or women's suffrage or um, I don't know, religious religious dominance. I mean, that it, it's so it's so vapid that we had to read that book Guns, Germs, and Steel uh, by Jared Diamond in our globalization class in college. And he treats religion in a very small uh, sector because he's just like, ultimately, we were only interested in advancing guns, germs, and and steel. We just wanted to create kind of enterprise. And it's like, people got on boats, people got on boats and sailed halfway across the world just to bring the gospel to you know, native, native lands. And, um, they didn't do that because they were hoping to create trade routes. Right. But they don't see that. Yeah. And the post-colonial thing is very much so a part of this. And so, uh, when I reflect on my own life and I think about ideology, um, I just, I was so blind when I, when I was in high school, I didn't, I didn't materially reject the faith because I couldn't, because I was still in, at home and I had to go to mass and stuff. But I formally, there was a formal rejection in my heart. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I, I, re, I just, for, in a formal way, rejected the faith, even though I was materially forced to still kind of practice it on a very basic and superficial level. And I, and I just appropriated immediately the ideological forces that are playing out in an IB program at, in a public school, like immediately. And I thought I was totally convinced that I was liberated. And I became a slave because it was like I just got taken by the storm yeah. as soon as I left the house. And it wasn't until I encountered Christ that I realized um, how destructive and how pervasive ideology was in my own heart and how tempting it is because it gives us control. And that's, what, that's why it's, it really is, um, in a deep way, spiritually, such a crisis, and even satanic, because it says you get to decide what the interpretation of reality looks like. Yeah. But the world is telling you, Apple's telling you, the media's telling you, everybody's telling you this is what it looks like. And that's what's crazy. So going to Delubach here for a second, um, and this kind of goes back, Goble, to what you were saying about the, the kind of truisms and the superficial stuff. Because mm-hmm. it's like, it's funny, as priests, you know, we deal with this a lot. And we try and... We're always conversing with people. We're always meeting people. But it's usually the friends of friends or the friends of parishioners who you, you kind of get the first cut of. And you, and you would think it's interesting, but it's, just, it's so similar. It's like, it's really the same. It's the same. You could just press play, and it's like, rah, 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 rah. the church is this, the church is this, priesthood is this, the, you know, Christianity is this. And it's just like, 
you, you get kind of tired of it. And here's what Delubach has to say about how he kind of diagnoses it. He says, beneath the numerous surface currents, so surface currents, that carry contemporary thought in every direction, so this is going beneath it, it seems possible to, de- to detect a deep undercurrent, by no means new, or, by, or rather a sort of immense drift through the action of a large proportion of its foremost thinkers, the peoples of the West are denying their Christian part and turning away from God. So what he's saying is that on the surface, there's just this kind of baseline superficiality, right? Everybody's nice, do good to one another, don't judge, and everybody goes to heaven. Right. But beneath that, he's saying there's a, there's a deep denial of the entire Christian tradition and a, re- and a spiritual rejection of God. Yeah. And that's why he says neo-paganism is the great spiritual phenomenon of our age. And he was writing this in the 50s, hmm. which is crazy to think about. Father, Father Daniel Chuchi uh, came up with an idea that he was going to do a series based solely on like these, these sayings. And so he was going to give a whole conference based on uh, love is love. So that's becoming a popular saying. I'm not familiar with it. Um, but it's, it, has, it has a certain moral quality. It has a certain uh, personal quality. It has a certain, uh, uh, like, if you believe this, then you have to believe these other things. Um, and he just sort of unpacked it in a very honest and, and Christian way. And I was like, that's really good. Because we have to encounter people in those, in those currents and not just say those currents are taking you somewhere, but just say, if we open our sails to this this wind, where would this take us? And where would it take us away from? Because sometimes it's like, well, that sounds nice. But then you start unpacking it for people, and it's like, ooh, I don't really like that. You know? Yeah. Olo, do you have anything on that? Or? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's, it seems to me a lot of those truisms are just, they're, they're things people can say that are commonly accepted and that they, it's hard to prove wrong. So it's it's almost so general that it's hard to prove wrong. I had a long conversation the other day with a, a friend who didn't grow up with any faith and, and you know, I was she we were arguing about the fact that that, you know, is be kind. You know, if if most if every single American was was to vote and say, Is it is it proper to be kind to one another? I think most Americans would say yes. Mm. And at first she disagreed, then, then I think I brought her around. But that has not always been the case. I mean, kindness is, is, a, is, is so surface. I mean, it's good. It's a, love is patient, love is kind. That's in the scriptures. Of course it is. But there's, there's something about um, people that are just not kind. And, and it's hard to argue against in our culture when someone says, just be kind. Kindness is my religion. It's, it's hard to argue against someone because most Americans believe that. But you cannot prove that 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 with, with without a God, without you know the incarnation, like you said, John, mm-hmm. you cannot prove that kindness is the better way to live. Why isn't just throwing everybody under the bus and getting exactly what I want, having power and money? Why isn't that the best way to live? And I think that's what that undercurrent is. That that's the direction our country is moving in, and all of Western society is moving in is to finally say. You know, let's just throw kindness out too. It's 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 not helpful. There's no way of proving that that's actually good for our society. Why not? If there is no God and there's no afterlife and there's no objective incarnation of love, why not just put myself first and not care about anybody else? And I think that's what that undercurrent is that people are just too afraid to say it because that's not popular yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh and this thing is constantly changing. That's the other challenge. Is like um, you, you can't kind of get your fingers on it. It's so deep, um, and it just manifests itself in these kind of little phrases. But when we talk about it, it's like, okay, what is it? So, like for example, um, when the sexual revolution first began in the 1960s, the slogans were all about freedom and sex. Yeah, it was all about sex, sex, sex. And they realized you're not going to win on that platform. So then it it became the language of love. Free love. Yep. Then it became freedom and love. And it was on that basis that they were able to really kind of take Western, the Western mind yeah. and to say it's all about love. 
and you can see how that just continues to expand. So these forces that are at work um, and these streams and these currents are constantly changing. And you're watching these people be kind of blown away by it. And we, we feel it as well. Um, and so much of the scandal and the brokenness within the church is not because, well, it's not because the teachings are themselves inherently dysfunctional. It's because we're, we appropriate ideology within the church and then we, we exercise it. And this can be the ideology of power. Yeah. This can be the ideology of sexuality, right? This can be a number of different things. Um, and you see this. We see this with certain Catholic thinkers who are writing and, and public about it. And you're just like, you're just a mouthpiece of ideology dressed up as a priest mm-hmm. or dressed up as a religious or right. a Catholic layperson. It's like, how do we keep ourselves as, as Catholics who believe that, that, that we are as close to the truth of the created world as possible, the way we understand it? How do we keep ourselves on our toes well enough to make sure that we are always perceiving rather than judging? Right. How do we keep our, our ourselves you know, just off balance enough to say, I need to continue to learn because I think... I mean, I've, I've been a priest 14 years. I've been assigned here in Denver. I got really comfortable. Yeah. And so like now that I'm getting moved, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I, I can see how our Lord would be working in this to say, you know, you, I don't think I'll ever be more loved than I have been here, ever. I can't even imagine it. I've, it's been so amazing. And I'm thinking, you know, I, just, I had it too good. I started resting, you know. And that there's a certain tension and holy anxiety that, that is, you know, kind of, kind of, push me a little bit, not to make it all personal, but I, I, I do think that's what we all need to kind of reassess. Am I rededicating myself to being a learner and to be a perceiver and to see what God's doing in the world rather than just saying, you know, I, I'm guiding souls and I'm guiding them in a way that makes my life easier, that makes me feel good and gives me what I need. That is so dangerous. And we authorities in the church can get into that and that in a sense is an ideology where we're, we're forming our life to ways that that make me feel good rather than actually perceiving and reacting to what christ is doing in every moment one of the reasons I, i'm really happy to be doing this podcast with you two is because i came across the line i think it's from bob balthazar where he said and it was really it kind of it was a bit jarring for me to read he said christianity without liturgy becomes ideology yeah so the answer to your question mm-hmm. is to say, yeah, as Christians, we can live out, we can reduce Christianity to ideology, and we can live that out. It can be a system of ideas. I've been in academia for four years. I'm watching this all the time. It's liturgy that saves us from ideology mm-hmm. and, that, and that allows the event of Christ and uh, the the distinction, the distinctiveness of revelation of the logos of God, to actually break us free from this modern imprisonment. But it's the liturgy, which means the representation and the life of the church as it's being expressed and communicated. Interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. I had a very weird experience tonight at evening prayer because I had been I had been checking social media right before we started the holy hour. And then I planned on preparing my homily for tomorrow during the holy hour. So I had everything planned. I was like, I, I wish I was doing social media. I needed to get away from that. And now I want to write my homily. And then we did evening prayer earlier than I expected in the holy hour. And I was s- struggling to pray those psalms like mm. I haven't in a long time. Huh. And, and I, I thought, I just, I just literally want to step away and read the readings for tomorrow. I want to step away and check Twitter. Like I want to, I want to step away and do these things. And I thought, why am I being so like, so relativistic here? Like the best thing for me is not this prayer where I know it is. And I think that's what I think of when you say that, like liturgy forces me to stand in a room with other people and pray the same thing they are. And I know it's truth, but there's an order to it, a structure to it. And we're all doing it together. And when I want to just make it all about myself, I can't, and I, I like evening prayer tonight forced me to conform in a good way to the best thing I could have been doing at that moment and praying with you guys. But everything in me wanted to step away. Mm. It was, it was. I mean, I, it was pretty crazy. But I know I, that's what it was. I, just, I was, I wanted my own way. I wanted to control that hour rather than say, okay, we're doing evening prayer, which is three beautiful psalms together as a companions group. Yeah, I also think that the. Uh a contributing factor when I look at my friends and acquaintances who have bid farewell to you know yeah. Catholicism. Part of it is because they see it lived as an ideology. Yeah, 
And we have to acknowledge that, that yeah. the, the, the destruction of the liturgical tradition that's happened in kind of a lot of our church life um, and the refusal to kind of dig deeper back into the tradition and then to center our lives around the liturgy as Catholics, um, you can see how this yeah. would freak people out. Now, I, I'm not justifying it, but it kind of makes sense. It's understandable. You know? It's understandable, least, yeah. yeah. So, Gobes, you got any thoughts on that? Otherwise, I'm going to go to my last point, and then we'll we'll kind of wrap her up here. Last point. Okay. He's getting tired. I am very tired. Tie, tie. Night, night, Tom Brokaw. <laughs> Good night from New York City. Not night yet. you got to wait. So, I would just name uh, three sources of modern ideology. When I read people who have left the church um, and bid farewell, I, I hear three voices and it's usually some kind of con- some kind of cocktail of these three thinkers nietzsche freud and marx hmm. these are the three masters of suspicion stelubach as stelubach baby everything's stolen everything i've ever said is stolen right so stelubach <laughs> borrowed well stelubach would also put august comte and a couple other people on there but but nietzsche freud marx these three um, have again it mixes it blends together but you see the will to power. You see the kind of the over-sexualized hermeneutic. You see the, the power structures play out. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about power. The ideology of, of, of everything from gender and marriage and all of this is playing out, which people who leave the, the arc of the church, the house of the church, are being swept away by the winds of this and just presuming this and then attacking the church. It's all with, this, with these ideas. It's Marx, Freud, um, and uh, Nietzsche, and I, I just I've become more convinced of the need to understand them, uh, to really deeply understand them, and to see how that's playing out beneath the kind of the superficial levels of our modern culture. Yeah, and I think another interesting thing. Obviously, I believe in the devil, and I believe that the devil influences people away from the truth. But I I, I do think too that when like while you're studying them, like what is what is the small good in here that people are latching onto? Right. Because every human being desires something that's good, even if it's twisted to become evil. There's something good there that people, I think, will latch onto. And when they see the good, then they say, well, there's good in the church, but there's also good over here. I'm attracted to it, and I can justify it by, by naming it as good, and identifying it as good. And they don't realize that that the way that this small good is being twisted, manipulated, and mutated by the general ideology is going to end in failure. Yeah, yeah that's true. He literally can't keep his eyes open anymore. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I would say um, there are some great people thinking out there. Um, Robert Barron does a lot with these guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just a great way. You, you, you don't want to go at him by yourself. You want to be, you want to be introduced to this. But um, yeah, so this is, this is just a way of saying... Um, when I was 18, I bid farewell to ideology. I didn't realize I was doing it when I took up um, the life of Christ. And I feel convicted again today with you guys to say we have to continue to fight uh, ideology in our hearts. Yeah. And the way we do that is being conformed to Christ, I think, particularly through the liturgy. But Christ, as the incarnate word, um, as the Logos, is the one who uh, dispels and, and ultimately explodes these radical reductions and limitations of the way we interpret reality. Yeah. Amen, Tom Broca. Well, the, um, yeah, part of what has been pointed out to me by some recent thinkers is just the, the amount of blood that has been shed in, in, because of ideology. And we would just say, well, we would never do that, you know? And it's like people are pointing out the way in which we are enforcing certain rules around language and pronouns, gender pronouns, is the exact same thing that they used, the same sort of logic that they used when it came to communist China. And, like, we're going to look back on, you know, certain attitudes, certain winds, certain currents, and we're going to see the oceans of blood that kind of came from that, um, and it's not going to be the same kind of wars. It's not going to... I don't think it's going to end up in a a titanic world war again, but I think it is going to sweep up the world. And I would say that uh, the exportation of American ideologies 
which are multi multi-form and sometimes just as crazy what that is going to do is it's going to it's going to trap all these other persons in it and i would agree that i i think that the liturgy saved at least your household because your mom says i don't care what they teach you in school i don't care what you believe you know monday through saturday sunday you're going to you're going to sit next to me and we're going to listen to this uh we're going to sing the same songs we're going to read the same readings and some effect is going to be had by that yeah so good well boys that was a uh, kind of abstract undeveloped topic can i just I can i just point out real quick i said do you have a topic and and john says <laughs> yeah i got something short we'll just riff on it for a little bit yeah that was short was would, would you have come on if it was otherwise what no, no if what? he had said we have a shout out podcast. let's do it <laughs> shout outs okay beth munson <laughs> Beth Munson? Beth Munson. Sam Munson's mom. The guy right oh over there across gosh. the room. Thanks well, for listening to the podcast. Thanks for listening to the thanks for listening to the podcast from small town America, Dubuque, Iowa, where some of the finest pork products are consumed and produced. Okay. And Dan Mahoney, who's a friend of uh, Deacon CJ Mass. Oh my gosh. You from Camp Gray in Wisconsin. Thanks for listening as well, up. buddy. All the seminarians and deacons getting their shout-outs in. Yeah, they're right over there. They asked yeah, for it. Whatever. I have one shout-out from uh, Sister Natalia Olson, one of her friends. I don't know his last name. It's just Mark the Magician. Mark the Magician. Ooh. Supposedly he was a Sikh, and I hope I didn't meet him and forget about him. But shout-out to you, Mark. Uh, sister was Ooh. assistant that uh, you get a shout-out. So congratulations. Sister Thank you gets, for listening. Sister gets whatever shout-out she wants. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So about uh, two months ago, Olo and I sat together in his room and uh, looked at all the Apple reviews. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to read one of them because it was my favorite, and I took a screenshot of it. Uh, it's entitled, Only You Can Prevent Ignorance, by the person who posted this is Papal Wildcat. Uh, it says... Catholic stuff equals MJ, Michael Jordan. Whatever you are listening to equals LeVar Ball. (laughs) (laughs) Enough said. I'm like, dude, Papal Wildcat, well (laughs) played. played. Um, I have an old note to give a shout out for Bridget from Guadalupe Parish in Anchorage, Alaska. Did we do that one already? I don't know. Um, And then, yeah, I think that's... Oh, uh, and then... To Diane from Calgary for the maple cookies. I'm pretty sure we did that one already, but uh, she sent maple cookies a long time ago. I refound them because I was unpacking some boxes, and I took them on the fishing trip, and they were amazing. Nice. Thanks for not sharing them with us. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't share it with you guys. Send more. Send more Please. maple cookies. They were maple cookies. What did you think of that reindeer reindeer sausage? You had? Um, not crazy. Gamey would not be the word for that. I uh, bring him reindeer sausage from Norway. It was. And t- what does he do? It was. I ate it. I ate it. But I said it was gamey, and I was happy that the rest of the seminarians ate the rest of it. Okay, there you go. All right, we got to wrap this up. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Greetings from all the companions here up in the mountains. We'll see you next week. Good night, America. <laughs> <laughs>